You're listening to Treasure of the Month, opening up the treasures of Litchfield Cathedral for all who'd like to learn a little bit more about this treasure of a place with me, Gregory Platten, the Canon Chancellor. Hello and welcome again to Treasure of the Month. This month we are talking to Matilda Houston-Brown, an Oxford University intern sponsored by Santander, who's been looking at the Seymour Bequest, a great number of books that we were given as a cathedral library. Matilda has been with us for the past six weeks and she's going to tell us a little bit about what she's learned. Hello, Matilda. Hello, um, I'm Matilda. Um, I am um, a student at uh, Oxford University, um, but I'm also a Staffordshire Stoke-on-Trent resident, so I only live an hour away from Litchfield Cathedral. Um, I'm an English literature and language student and I'm heading into my final year. So my focus um, is around books. My love is books. And I was um, the intern this summer uh, at Litchfield Cathedral Library, uh, working with the books and helping with the records and just getting immersed in the library. Yeah, I should say we had a conversation before we did the podcast. Matilda will say she spent most of her summer holiday reading. Um, so books are not just a, um, an interest, they're a love, aren't they, for you? Yes, they are. They are a bit of my life, really. <laughs> they are what my life revolves around. But yes, they're, they're, my, they're my one true love books, really. And it's really great to have you. What was it that brought you to Litchfield Cathedral Library? Um, so it was the Oxford University internship programme, actually, um, where I stumbled across the fact that you and Litchfield Cathedral were hosting an internship. Of course, I've never, I know Litchfield Cathedral relatively well. I went when I was young, much younger, so I do know it slight. I knew it slightly before I arrived, so I had that sort of familiarity with the cathedral. So I was really interested because I'd never seen the library, so it sort of tickled my interest a little bit. And of course, because of the Oxford University can provide um, provided some Santander award, which could fund my travel there and back on the train. Um, it meant that it was really financially viable for me and it was really exciting and so I just thought why not <laughs> and I applied um, and that's how that's how I ended up for an amazing six weeks in the library for the summer. It, it was one of those moments where it really felt like a gift to be honest because um, we only discovered it fairly late on and we um, put an application in and then Oxford University said we think this is something that actually is really worthwhile and will uh, peak interest and therefore we'll put some sponsorship which is uh, as you said given by Santander uh, really generously so it, we found that we were not only popular but we had the uh, ability to actually fund somebody which is only fair really but actually you could have it could have been offered for without funding so it was just really a great bonus but I, I should say as well that Matilda you did do uh, extra weeks on top of it so that was a um, that was an extra gift. Um, and I know you love books, but it was it was generous. Well, I really I really thought it was I it was the kind of situation where it was a place that I just wanted to be in longer anyway. So <laughs> I'm much preferred to do the six weeks than the four weeks and six weeks, the maximum I could do. And I wanted to make the maximum out of it possible because the cathedral library is an incredible resource. It's just a beautiful place. It is. It's quite hidden, isn't it? Because you can't actually really generally go and see. You can book tours. And if you, if you haven't been there, I, I would recommend it. But it's sort of hidden away most of the time. Yes, it's it's up a, it's up a spiral staircase and through a locked door and vaulted ceiling. So like Gregory said, if you, if you want to book a tour, you should. It's very beautiful and very atmospheric. But it is at the same time very tucked away, which adds to the atmosphere. But it means that it's a special place I don't think a lot of people get to see 
which is a shame in some ways, I think. It is, and I think we could make more of it. And I think we're, we are determined in terms of the cathedral's going forward strategy to do that. But it is quite Hogwartian. You're dead right. You've got this tiny little staircase with a huge door. Uh, and when you get there, it's, it's just full of treasure. So in terms of those treasures, what have you been up to? Uh, so essentially, um, my focus was the Duchess of Somerset's 1673 bequest um, after her death of her husband's library. Um, and that is mostly where the oldest books from the library come from, um, the, both the printed books and the manuscripts. Uh, and my focus was upon the manuscript, the 1671 manuscript catalogue, which had the list, a very clumsy, chaotic, sort of alphabetized list of what supposedly arrived in Litchfield in 1673, 1674. Um, and my job essentially was to work that against our modern catalogue and find what we still had, find what was left, especially around the printed books, and check what condition they were in, but mostly just to find them and just to see what's left. Mm. Because um, there's there's this number that goes around that we have a thousand books from the Somerset bequest. Um, and we weren't sure. And so I had to look through and actually in the very back, the very back in um, a, probably a 1700s and 18th century hand, which is the very back of all of this 1671 catalog, it says, about a thousand in tiny little letters. And I think that's that's where that number came from, the about a thousand. Uh, so that was my job really, to find if we did have about a thousand or if we had less than a thousand. And we do have a little bit less than a thousand. And we have about 400 at most recent count, um, which is less than a thousand, but more than we expected actually, because things go missing over years and it's been obviously such a long time. So that was my focus, yeah. One of the funny things about that um, catalogue, and I couldn't quite believe it, um, that you said, I think, when you go through it, is you, you began after the first few days even to get an idea of the person, probably a man, I guess, uh, who had written it. Uh, any reflections on what you found in that? Yeah, so it's it was clearly written by somebody who was sort of familiar with texts, but not a reader, not an e a very educated person. It was it was definitely a steward or somebody with a form of education, but not not obviously a relation of the Somerset family, a, a great gentleman reader. And there's a lot of it's a very chaotic catalogue. There's repetitions in it. And sometimes you're not sure if it's the same book or a different copy of the same book. Um, and there's also real confusion about, especially if you have um, early modern Neo-Latin or Neo-Grecian tragedies with sort of figures and Roman emperors in the name. Um, there is a real confusion about whether that person wrote the book or wrote the play or whether it's about that person. There's a lot of confusion, especially with classical figures and modern figure, early modern figures. Um, so often you find a, you find a text and you think to yourself, oh, it says it's written by so-and-so, but it's actually not. That's the title of the book. So you have to go through that. And then at the end of it, it turns out that we don't have that text anyway anymore. <laughs> so it's, it's a puzzle. It, essentially, it's um, pu putting puzzle pieces together, which made it very enjoyable. And it, it, even though it was difficult, it gave me a real fondness the person who was clearly struggling through essentially on their own trying to desperately alphabetize this 
you you answered my question because I was going to ask you what you thought of them because uh, you're probably the uh, one of the very few people that's done the same job as as that person did many moons later. And of course, of course, it would have been harder for them because they they probably they were, would have been if there was a catalogue in the first place they would have been working off an, an older catalogue that was probably missing a lot of books and at least I was work I was working off a catalogue that was relatively reliable and had at least the dates and we definitely had all the books that we had on this catalogue uh, which helped with sourcing and finding the different texts in the library so I did feel more sympathetic for the poor steward or whoever in 1671 you can just imagine them, can't you, with piles of books around them, just frantically trying to find which one's which. So no wonder there's repetitions and confusion, really. It's only taken 350 years to catalogue it better. So, yeah, slow process. Anything particular uh, piqued your interest? What kind um, of notable discoveries of did you find there? We don't know about at Litchfield. Um, I mean, there's lots of things, beautiful things that we have that we do know about, especially the manuscripts. We have a lot of um, 15th century manuscript. We have the Prick of Conscience and that kind of thing, which are incredibly beautiful manuscripts that were a treasure to look at that we do know of. But in terms of, in terms of discoveries, in terms of exciting little tidbits, my favourite thing was Edward Seymour's marginalia. And Edward Seymour would have been the grandfather of the Duke of Somerset, whose library was bequested to, to Litchfield. Um, and the, not the Lord Protector, the son of the Lord Protector. It's a bit confusing because they've all got the same names. Um, but he and his were the earlier printed texts. And um, he, he wrote a lot of his books. The books that we reckon he had when he was about 20 to 25, there's a lot of text that he just scribbles all over him. Uh, and that was really exciting because you open it and it's not just something that was a presentation copy put on someone's shelf, not really read. It's a real living piece of piece of history, which is what I love about books. And he draws faces on things and he always writes his name, always writes his name. He also draws face. And then one, um, there's this great, there's this great big, I forget which text. I opened it up and I was checking through the condition and noting now that he'd written his signature in the front. And I moved to the back just to check it to see if he's written anything in the back. And he seems to have transcribed an entire hymn. And we're not sure whether he wrote it himself and we're not sure yet because it's very difficult to transcribe entirely and copy down. But he seems to have written a huge, huge big page of, of a hymn, which is quite exciting. It's quite that even if it's new writing or writing that he loved that he copied down, it at least shows us some of his character. Um, and that's that's a really exciting thing, I think. To You can see there the, the, where the ink's bled through, where he's pressed too hard with his quill. And you can see where he scribbled out words that you, co you either copied down wrong or didn't seem right. And that that's really intimate as an experience, I think. Which, yeah, I, I, it's it's quite, quite a beautiful thing, really. And it, it was... And, some days, obviously, I was working in there on my own, and it didn't feel like I was on my own, not in sort of a ghost story way, but it was really, everything seemed very full of life, especially when I opened an Edward Seymour book, because you could tell that the books were used, and that's what books are for, they're books to be read, aren't they? So it's always nice to see that a book was loved and read, no matter what it is, yeah. Yeah, um, well, I love, love John Donne. 
Um, so John Donne is my dissertation topic. Um, so we have some 1640s copies of versions of John Donne's sermons, which were published after his death. So I did, I did get a bit stuck into them. Um, what I also loved as well, which I found myself getting really sucked into, were um, were any were any um, texts that had these beautiful fold out pages, whether they were maps or whether sometimes they were diagrams. And I found them really just an incredibly immersive experience, just unfolding, looking at all the beautiful, beautiful printed drawings. Um, I also just loved we have a we have a 1500s book of hours which is printed um but it's colored um in in the print hand colored and that was just a beautiful experience to look at because of course those are meditation texts you're meant to read over them to think and meditate so it they were meant to be drawn into so i felt myself really being drawn into that especially yeah yeah, you showed me those. They were really beautiful. And also you showed me one of the fold-out maps that hadn't clearly been opened very much. And when you see the freshness of the colours, it's quite overwhelming, actually, because you, you expect them to be faded and old, but actually they're almost new. It's yeah, especially the slightly later ones, because like I said, Edward Seymour was clearly... The books that he had, he read a lot. But I don't think um, William Seymour, the Duke of Somerset, was as much of a reader in the sense that that Edward Seymour was. I mean, that is making a wild assumption. But in terms of the qual of the way that the books were annotated so heavily with Edward Seymour compared to William Seymour, and you look at them, and it means it's got another kind of special nature to it because it's everything you fold it out, and it's just it's a book from the seventeenth century, and it really in a, some strange ways looks new, <laughs> in in as much as it could look new. Um, and that, like you say, is quite moving just to see some look at something that you know not many people have opened. <laughs> and that's no across across centuries. I mean, that's just I think what's happened in those centuries, and the fact that book hasn't been opened is very, very much is extraordinary. Yeah. In terms of you and your own plans, in terms of your own kind of hinterland and and what lies ahead, how does it fit in? The, the, well, the internship's been amazing because it actually focuses in entirely into my research interests. So it's been amazing in sort of focusing what I want to do for my final year, which I'd already planned to do, but also focusing what I want to do for future academic achievements. Um, my, my love for manuscript culture and uh, print and the nature of text, the materiality of text themselves um, was just only developed. Um, so my focus of my dissertation is very much on that sort of manuscript culture, questions of economy um, and movement of text for John Donne specifically. Um, and it, it sort of extended that idea for me being here in the Cathedral Library. Um, especially it started raising questions to me about ideas of textual ownership in the early modern era and something that I'd really like to develop further in future studies, this idea of what an own text is, what it means to own a text, especially in the early modern era, um, and what a gentleman library would have looked like, how, how books were owned and books were appreciated and viewed, um, which I just, it just raises some really interesting questions compared to our, how we currently understand owning a book or owning a text. Um, which also plays in, of course, with marginalia and how writing on the margins of something changes the nature of the book 
for us as modern readers, uh, which is exciting. Yeah. I think that is really exciting. It, it sort of takes me on to my next question, which is the, the purpose and the uh, almost the philosophy, I guess, behind the conservation of books. You know, what are you doing? What is the archive? What are you, what were you doing in the library in, in a kind of big picture way? Yeah, I, I think that um, lots of people might feel like, well, we sort of even sort of sort of know what's in there and old texts are old texts. It's not nothing that exciting about them, especially if there's already other copies of early printed books, etc. But I think the importance of conservation is just just paramount, especially when we're looking when I, we're looking at books that have been used and read, as I said, books that have formed part of somebody's identity, a dead, a dead person's identity, a prominent dead person's identity. Um, and they are a form of history. The, the text changes meaning when we understand who owned the text, which is so wonderful. It's, it's all very well to Google, oh, John Donne's poetry or whoever's poetry and find it online in their HTML format or whatever. But then when you look at the printed text and you think to yourself, wow, this Raleigh's history of the world was owned by William Seymour and therefore it changes how we can understand that text. It's incredibly important and it needs to be protected. That's why that's why I think anyway. And I think that that's a that's the purpose of conservation. And it's incredibly important. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. No, I think it's a really interesting point. I've never thought about it like that, but it reminds me um I was listening to a program the other day and it was about uh, it was David Bowie saying you'd never tell anyone um what his songs meant because in the end it was it was as they are received and what i've never thought about until you said that is that actually the way a book is received and the way a person interacts with that book tells you a lot first of all about how that person's work was received in their own time a lot about the person who's annotating layers and layers layers and layers of people it's um it's almost like an invisible palimpsest isn't it writing just layers and layers and layers of different ways of understanding the meaning um, different words, or even if they're not written words, just I understand this history about Edward Seymour and then of William Seymour, and that lays on top of Raleigh's history of the world. And it's and also what sometimes there's about four copies of the same text, and you think to yourself, how did that happen? That's so interesting. They either really loved it or they what what what's going? On? I mean, sometimes you never know, but it. The fact that there's, for example, two copies of the same version is interesting in itself, and it adds quality to that text, adds an level of understanding to that text. So it is, it's a look, especially looking at a complete library collection like that, the really special experience and working on a complete library collection like that. Because even if you can't really make speculations about the man William Seymour, you can gather an understanding of the time period and just a sense, like a ghost, of, of what the collection meant. Because, um, of course, in, in the Duchess of Somerset's will, um, I believe she wrote that she wanted them all to be kept together, which is in itself a really interesting concept, that she wanted all the books to be together. Um, and maybe that was just because she wanted to show off that it was her bequest, this was her bequest, or maybe it had a more sentimental meaning. Or And that that even that's interesting, the, the necessity of keeping the books together, which of course over time didn't happen, but um, probably would have been easier to find everything if it had been. But 
But I think that's really fascinating because in an age, you, I mean, I, there was just something the other day saying, that, you know, will books survive? Uh, and I think we sometimes forget that books are, are relatively new in themselves, actually, as a concept. But actually, you can't annotate a Kindle. You can't annotate uh, something that you've downloaded from Amazon in the same way. And you can't own it. And people say, don't they, you know, this is my favourite copy or my favourite translation. And I like it because I took it on holiday and you can see the copy staying there or whatever. There's something about the life of the book that is physical as much as it is the writing or the text. It's, it's our interaction with that thing. Oh, 100%. It's, it's just a, a much more intimate experience with the text. Um, even I mean, even if we're moving away from early modern early modern text in the library itself, if you think about books that have been passed down to you or books that are lent to you, the idea of lending books and um, to each other, it's a much more it's a commune more of a communal experience, more of an experience of friendship. And when you look at, for example, Edward Seymour and the way he draws faces, sometimes he looks like he's drawing himself or other people, and then sometimes it says Hartford and and um, and it's sort of illegible and you can't quite see who the and is and you think it's in of itself how did he get that text who did he was it a lent text was it an own text um and I mean that that relates to us today how we how we love texts and how we love books like you said people have their favorite copy um and um, books that I had as a child that were lent to me by older people who loved them as a child it's just a really interesting experience where where of course books are just incredibly intimate and of course um with things like early modern especially the with Seymour he has books that are, he's a patron of some of some people so of course some books are printed and they're dedicated to him with with all with him in mind you know so that's another layer even in the printed text there's that hint of his presence too uh, which is quite exciting as well which of course we don't have today don't really get a dedication. <laughs> I'm, I'm struck by the, the you use the word a couple of times intimacy, and there is, isn't there? When you read an extraordinary book that changes your life, there's a moment at which you you close the book, and it's almost as if you're not in the world around you. It's it's a bit like walking out into a bright day from a dark room. It's a sort of somehow you have to reconnect outside. And it is a book. It's not a Kindle. It's that sort of it's the closing of the book. It is that physical ending you can never quite repeat um and i you know my wife and i are always if it's a good book you're always sad when you finished it in a way that the worst thing to do is to pick up another book straight away because you guarantee you won't connect with it it's 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 very yeah books are extraordinary i think yeah incredible and i think you have you want something there with that physical closing closing something up as well it's, it's just a such a definitive act as well even that it it's so it's just such, such a special experience that cannot can't be replicated by other forms of media, I don't think. And maybe that's just me as a book lover talking. Um, but there is something really interesting about reading something all the way through and getting to the end and closing it up and that being the end and having to move on and how it's changed the way you move on to. It's, it's a very, very interesting experience reading a beautiful book. It is. And actually, completely off subject, Matilda, but actually, if you think about the way in which we view television nowadays it tends to be box sets and one of the things that's really interesting is it, it now often on things like netflix it just seamlessly moves from one episode to the next or even one series to the next whereas there is that thing actually of saying even at the end of a chapter there's like you know 
like a good essay has a beginning, a middle and an end, but it does. Actually, there is an ending and it is a physical ending. I think we live very much in a bit of a binge culture, which is, can be great. It can be great to just consume something and get to the end of it and then move on to something else. And it's not really an end and just binging your way through something. But of course, I mean, especially in the library and going through and looking through the books and closing each book and knowing that that book would have been something that was read front to back, likely, not entirely, but it, it likely would have been read front to back and it would have been used to understand the world around you, especially what was what really amazing about the library is the amount of dictionaries, uh, French dictionaries and Latin dictionaries and Greek Latin dictionaries. And that, and of course we don't have that now. We don't need the dictionary in our lives. We can just Google or use something online or, I mean, even just, even if you have the Oxford English dictionary, you could just use the online version now and it's much more useful than having that state text. But the necessity of text to understanding words and understanding of the world um, is so different now. Uh, and it's a shame, really, in some ways, even though it's really useful. But just the whole way of the understanding of the world was filtered through searching through a text and then closing the text and putting the text away. Just a completely different process, really. It's really interesting. No, it is. Um, I'm afraid you're talking to the wrong person. I'm a reactionary. So I do have an English dictionary and I love I love the typeface. I love the abbreviations. I love the the real neatness of the whole thing. I love the experience. And I think what you're saying there is really interesting in terms of the library. They would have, you know, they they would have opened these books up, probably quite carefully, because even then they would have been, I guess, quite fragile. And there's that, you know, it, time was slower. Yeah, I think I think it's more useful now. It's more of a useful and practical process, but it's less of a creative process now less of a searching up a word now is less of a I've got to go through and find the word and I understand the meaning of the word and the basis and how to pronounce it and less of it's less of that and more of a well I need to find this word so I'm going to find the word and um, so there's that less less of that wiggly creative process to get to where you need to be which often of course is the place where you find the most interesting bits and pieces no it's true it's true it's the squandered time it's the it's the it's the eye that flicks onto the other page that 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 finds the link. Matilda, you're a poet, and I'm going to ask you probably a question that's not very helpful, but I'm going to ask it nonetheless. And that is, as a poet, what word would you use to sum your work up so far? Um, I think I would probably go with immersive, um, getting deep into something. Um, really felt like um, a digging process uh, sometimes um, and I never really felt I never felt distracted and sometimes you mentioned earlier about just getting suckered into a book and just forgetting where you were and, and even what I was supposed to be doing a little bit um, and so I felt sometimes especially just precious moments of that really being heightened yeah the, it was a really immersive experience especially with the beautiful surroundings of the library it was it was like being somewhere out of time a little bit at times. So it was really amazing. Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about that when when I came to see because the, the windows are slightly too high to see out of, uh, and it's uh, it's I think it was originally I think a strong room, so it has a sort of introverted, introspective way. It, everything's forced internally there, so you don't, you look towards the centre of it. Um, and it's perfect for a library space because it, you, there isn't much to distract you, even with Wi-Fi. Um, 
there's not much to distract you. And it smells gloriously like a library. That's the best thing. Yeah, Dust it, and books. It's a really meditative place. It's lovely. It's what how you want a library to be, I think. That real, like you say, inwards focus where you just have to look at yourself from a book. It's a lovely process to be involved with. Yeah. Thank you very much, Matilda. It's been really delightful to talk to you. You have done amazing work and I hope, and you have said you might be willing to stay connected to the library with its work. Uh, and we look forward to following you. You're going to be uh, really amazing in that world. You've already been in ours. So thank you so much and uh, keep in touch. Thank you.